me just take you into God's word. Can we do that? Lord, have mercy. I feel him here. I could just sing all day, I believe. Lord, have mercy. Just be seated. Just go ahead and be seated. I know you've been standing up a while, but turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Let me say this about this message today, that I did not find this word. I did not find this narrative of scripture. It found me. And I thought I, I would find the word that God wanted to bring to you this week. And instead, I found out that his word found me and God explored my heart in order to prepare my heart to bring you the word that he has for you. And while I was going through this narrative, I really came back to the realization of how simplistic but yet profound the ministry of Jesus is. While you're turning in your Bibles, let me establish the context of conversation. Every year at the beginning of the year, we give you a theme for the year, a theme that we revisit throughout the year so that we'll stay on mission. The theme for 2017 is it's your turn. Everybody say it's your turn. We, we passed out wristbands and, and dog tags. And if you didn't get one, then go by the welcome tent on the way out while supplies last and get yours. But it's your turn. Everybody say it's your turn. You see, it's your turn. It's your turn to take the love that God has placed inside of you and shine it on all of those that are around you. It's your turn to stop worrying about what God's going to do for you and rather what he's going to do in you and then through you. It is your turn not to just be a recipient of grace, but to be a conduit of grace. Come on, somebody say, it's your turn. It's your turn to run to the need. It's your turn to take the place that God planted you and use it as leverage for the kingdom of God. It's your turn to be his eyes. It's your turn to be his ears. It's your turn to be his steps. Come on somebody help me preach it's your turn to take that grace that moment of grace that God poured out in your life and pour it out of somebody else's life so that they are changed forever if you've ever experienced that type of grace that has leveled the playing field in your life when you couldn't do anything about the field that you were playing on then look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of today's conversation and that is search for the moment Look at your other neighbor and say, search for the moment. I'm going to talk about that concept as we get further into the narrative. What I want to do is just read the narrative, and then we'll come back and dissect the narrative after we reacquaint ourselves with this narrative. But I want to do something a little different. I don't want to read verses one following. I just want to start at the end of the narrative, because what I discovered when I was going through this this week is that Luke could have really recorded this narrative in a different fashion. He could have used verse 10 as verse 1, but instead he used it as the conclusion of his message. He could have used verse 10 as the preemptive message to tell us the ministry of Jesus, but instead he uses verse 10 to conclude and to remind us who Jesus really is. And so let me read for you a few verses beginning in verse 9, and it says this. It says, Jesus said to him, by the way, one of these verses, verse 10, we quote in church quite often. And we take it out of context sometimes because we do not apply it to this story, but you need to grab this. Verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Everybody say, Today salvation has come to this house. 
What Luke is doing is he's telling us that there is a moment in time. There is a today. Today is the day. Today, his mercies are new every single morning with the rising of the sun. Today, let us rejoice in this day because this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it today. He's saying that there was a moment in time, Richie, when God showed up, when Jesus walked into Zacchaeus' life. And from that moment of grace, when it came in and arrested his heart, there was something markedly different in his life from that moment on because today salvation came to the house. Today hope came to the house. Today help came to the house. Today restoration came to the house. Today healing came to the house. Then he says something in verse 10. It's a verse that's quite often quoted in the church. Luke says, the son of man came. To seek and to save the lost. To seek, to search for, to search for a moment to pour out his grace. This verse, if you know anything about Jesus, is the epitome of grace. If you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, this verse is a definition of grace. He's saying that Jesus is looking for a moment, searching for a moment to pour out grace upon people so that they are forever changed. If you know about Jesus, you know that he was the word and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us in the form of Jesus. The Bible goes one step further and says that Jesus came not to serve, but to not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. Grace. Now Luke takes it one step further and he says, and the son of man is searching for those so that he can pour out a moment of grace so that his grace becomes evident to all of mankind. The Bible goes one step further. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, it says that his grace is sufficient. In our moment of weakness, his power is made perfect. But here is the challenge for you today. If his grace is sufficient, there are people in our lives who will never discover the sufficiency of God's grace unless and until, unless or until, we get on the seek and save effort with him. Grab that. There are people in your life that will never discover the sufficiency of God's grace until we get on the seek and save effort with him. Because if you've ever experienced his grace, that time when you didn't know what to do, but all of a sudden his grace showed up and showed out, his grace helped you do what you could not do. It's that kind of grace, that kind of grace that, that, that will forgive, that kind of grace that will save, that kind of grace that will help you, that kind of grace that will set you free, that kind of grace that will forgive you of your sins, that kind of grace that will separate you from all unrighteousness. If you've ever experienced that kind of grace, somebody ought to give him praise. Because that grace will compel you to get off the couch and begin to serve him. That grace will cause you to praise. That grace will cause you to help. That grace will cause you to give. That grace will cause you to forgive. That grace will cause you to go. It's that kind of grace. If you've ever experienced that kind of grace, no one has to twist your arm to do something for God because you know all that he's done for you. You can't help but to do for him. If you've ever experienced that kind of grace, somebody ought to take a 10-second praise break. Come on, give him praise. Ten. Now, there's something about this salvation thing. There's something about this salvation thing. He says salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus today. Something that I need you to understand about salvation. This salvation, this term is somewhat broad. 
but it is very refined in the way that I need you to understand it today, in the way that I believe Jesus meant it. What you need to understand is that salvation, your salvation can never be self-centered. Your salvation can never be selfish. Your salvation can never be, oh, God loves me so much. Look what he did for me, because that means your salvation is all about you. But rather, your salvation needs to be, God loves me so much that all he wants me to do is show his love to others. That's what salvation is. And can I tell you something? If we do not get on the seek and save effort with Christ, the message of Christ could be extinguished. Can I tell you what grace is in its most simplistic form? Here's what grace is. Grace is the ability to do things that you would otherwise not be able to do. That's what grace is. I need to stop preaching. Let me get back to the narrative or we won't get through. Is it all right if I preach some a little today? Is it all right? Here's what verses 1 and following says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he came down at once and he welcomed him. All of the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Hold on a second. Here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to paint a picture for you. I want to use the historical significance, the historical nuance, pair it up with the theological nuance that Luke was alluding to in a subtle way so that you can see what Luke was trying to show us because there's so much more depth to this than just this little Sunday school story. It says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. That is a very insignificant verse when you first read it. Jesus is passing through Jericho, unless you dig a little deeper. When you first read that verse, you, I mean, it's just one of those verses that you could skip over because you don't fully understand the significance of it. But Luke is trying to get us to read between the lines because there is something happening here. You see, what you need to understand is Jesus is passing through Jericho because he's going to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem in the next couple of days, he will then give his life on the cross. So here is Jesus, and his ministry is about to culminate in in. Jerusalem, and he's going to die a death on the cross. But yet he passes through Jericho. Again, it doesn't seem to be that strange until you understand that your route to Jerusalem does not include a stop at Jericho because Jericho is out of the way. Why would he go out of the way? What is it that Luke is trying to get us to see here? What is it that would cause Jesus to stop in Jericho on his way to his own death when Jericho is out of the way? He's trying to get us to focus, for one, on, on, on the concept that here is Jesus who is God in the flesh. 
And he's trying to show us the motivation behind his heart, behind his effort, behind his ministry, behind his mission. You see, we could sit in here and we could talk about, thank you, Carmen, we could talk about the ministry of Jesus and we could focus upon the miracles of Jesus. How many of you know he did some incredible miracles? Like walking on the water, spooking all of the disciples. Like he was the life of the party. He'd go to the party, he'd go to the wedding, and he'd turn the water into wine. That's a trick for somebody to try to reproduce. It won't work. He would have a dinner party, and thousands would be present, and all that he would have would be a box lunch, but somehow he could take the box lunch and feed thousands. We could talk about all of that, but I think what Luke is trying to get us to see is the depth of the ministry of Jesus because there's a motivation behind all of those miracles. What would cause Jesus to pass through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem thinking about his death, but he goes out of the way to save one tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus? There are no other miracles recorded. There are no really life stories, if you will, that are recorded in Jericho. So he goes to Jericho for Zacchaeus. Why would he do such a thing? Well, once you understand verses 9 and 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost, you'll understand the heart behind verse 1. Mm, you're still not getting this. So let me go a little bit further. It says that Jesus passed through Jericho. He passed through Jericho. Once we understand why he passed through Jericho, then you'll understand why he was there. And one of the reasons why he passed through Jericho, and I wrote this down, hang with me, let me build it up there, is, is this, it's because he had compassion. In fact, theologians agree that the greatest emotion that describes Jesus in the Gospels is the emotion of compassion. All throughout the Gospels, it says, that Jesus had compassion upon them, so he fed them. Jesus had compassion upon him, so he healed him. Jesus had compassion upon them, so he ministered to them. It was his compassion that led him to Jericho. Now, the word compassion in the Greek that describes Jesus is a very deep word. I want to keep this as G-rated as I can, so just hang here with me for a moment. The word compassion in the Greek that describes Jesus in the original language is the word splagnos. That particular word means a trembling of your bowels. Again, I'm going to keep this as G-rated as I can. But why in the world would we use the term splagnos when it says Jesus had compassion? Splagnos, why would that be the emotion that describes him, or the word that describes that emotion. <laughs> the trembling of the bowels. Well, one of the reasons why is because if you've ever had a trembling of the bowels, you cannot stand still. You've got to go to the nearest facility. You are compelled to move. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever had the BGs, the bubble guts? When you have that, there is a gnawing at your belly, and everybody better get out of the way because you are compelled to make a movement. The reason why that word is used is because it's such a deep gnawing at your stomach that you cannot help but to act upon what God has placed within your heart. You are compelled to move. He was compelled to move to Jericho, and Jesus passed through Jericho. Jericho. 
Let me talk about Jericho for a moment because it was an ancient city. It was known for its palm forest and its balsam groves and, and that perfumed the air for miles and miles around Jericho. Did he go there for the smell, the aroma? No. The more that I began to dive into this narrative, I remembered a passage in the Old Testament. You see, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. But there was another guy who lived about 1,500 years before Jesus, and his name was Yeshua, which is the name also for Joshua. Joshua had just assumed the mantle of taking the people into the promised land, but yet he was meeting resistance. The opposition was there. In Joshua chapter 1, Yeshua, if you will, Joshua receives a word from the Lord, and that word is, I will give you every place that you set your feet. That was the word. That was the word. That was the promise. That was the Old Testament prophecy. Every place that you place your feet, I will give to you. Four chapters later, Jesus, most theologians believe, shows up as the commander of the Lord's army. He has a conversation with Joshua. Here is Jesus talking to Joshua, who is this Messiah-type symbol who's pointing to the coming Messiah, and he says to him, here's the plan to overcome the city of Jericho, the fortified city. Every place that you set your feet, I will give to you. 1,500 years later, the first Yeshua is now giving way to the true Messiah, the Yeshua, and here he is setting his feet in the very place that God had prophesied 1,500 years before. Good Lord, have mercy, that a preach. Here he is setting foot, Jesus, the Messiah, in Jericho. Why? Because there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus goes to Jericho. He passes through Jericho to bring about the fulfillment of the promise that God made 1,500 years before. And the reason why he goes there is because he needs to place his feet in front of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Searching for the moment. Who is Zacchaeus? Well, let me tell you who Zacchaeus is historically and individually. Zacchaeus was the tax collector. Luke is telling us he was the tax collector, which means that he was hated. He was despised. The reason why they hated him is because no one wanted to pay their taxes. They didn't like him because they thought he was an extortionist. They despised him, though, because he practiced something called tax farming. Let me define that for you. Tax farming was when you knew that you had a tax that you had to gather and collect and exact to send back to Rome. The, the Rome had conquered this place called Jericho. Now you have to send the tax back to Rome. When you collected that tax, you would add an additional tax on top of that. And anything that Rome needed, you would send that to Rome. Anything that Rome had regulated, you would send that to Rome. But anything over and above that regulation, you got to keep for yourself. So they would exact taxes for anything in hopes to get more money for themselves. Why? Because, you see, when Rome would conquer cities, it was so tough for them to tax those cities because they couldn't find the money. Because in those cities, they would develop the black market, and the people would trade and, and buy and sell on the black market, so nobody knew where the money was at. So Rome would, would hire a native from that city and employ them and deploy with them a garrison of soldiers so that they could go in and twist arms and find the money. 
so corrupt. Nothing like the IRS today. <laughs> so they despised him. They disliked him. He would exact a tax upon them. He could collect himself money and become wealthy because he had a love for money. And because of it, they hated him. They called him a dog. They called him other four-letter words that we cannot say in here today. They believed that the tax collector was not even human, so it was okay to lie to them. They hated them so much so because they were actually Jewish themselves, but working for Rome, stealing money from the Jews, sending it to Rome, but getting rich themselves. But then here, Luke describes something else. He, he says not only was he a man who was the tax collector, not only was he hated and despised, not only was he wealthy because he had a love for money, not only was he extorting people, but he was also short. There is a reason why Luke tells us that. He's letting us know that on the inside there were some personal things that had affected his personality because people were making fun of him, not just because he was a tax collector, but because he was the short tax collector. And they were making fun of him so much so that they would mock him so much so that there was so much pain in his life that he would exact a higher tax. And because he would exact a higher tax, they hated him that much more. They would say more things to him so he would tax them even more. There was such brokenness in his life such turmoil. He was dejected. Now, keep in mind, here is Luke painting this picture for us. All of these things that we're talking about, here is, here is Zacchaeus who's broken, dejected, and he has all of these problems. He's a tax collector. He's wealthy. He's an extortionist. He has all of this difficulty. Here is culture who has this great divide, and they have a hatred for, for Zacchaeus. But then you have Jesus who happens to be just passing through Jericho. Wow. Then what we see is the desperation of Zacchaeus collides with the grace of Jesus and something supernatural happens. Look at verse 5. Let me show you something. Verse 5. It says this. This is probably one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, you see what had happened, we already read, it said that Zacchaeus ran ahead because he was so short, everybody was hip checking him. They wouldn't even let him in. Now he's so short they can see over him, so there's no reason why you wouldn't let somebody in front of you if you can see over them, but they despised him so much that he had to run ahead, climb the tree, get up on, on, on this limb so that he could see the Messiah that was coming. And it says in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Hold on a second. When Jesus reaches the spot, he looks up. All of that stuff we just talked about, all of the pain, all of the dejection, the, the cultural divide, the issues, the, 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 the problems that are there. When Jesus reaches that spot, he looks up. All of that stuff. But then came Jesus. Jesus wasn't just passing through. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus was on a mission. Why? Because he was in search for a moment. Then came Jesus. Mm. This man was desperate enough to run ahead. This man was desperate enough to climb a tree. And then came 
Jesus. I don't know who this is for, but you do not have to leave this place the same way that you came in because you've been waiting on God to show up with a grace moment, a moment of grace that could change you forever. Let me let you know something. Your moment of grace is about to happen right now. Then came Jesus into your suffering. Then came Jesus into your problems, but then came Jesus into your despair, but then came Jesus into your sorrow, but then came Jesus into your relational trials, but then came Jesus It reminds me of the old song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you've ever experienced that kind of grace, then somebody ought to give God a then King Jesus kind of praise. A side note. Is it okay if I give you a side note? It's free. But there was something about this that Zacchaeus ran ahead, climbed the tree. Because he couldn't see Jesus any other way, rolling. So what he had had to do was he had to get in a position to be able to see Jesus. He had to make room in order to see Jesus. The point that I am trying to make is that we cannot force Jesus to move, but we can make room for him to move. There are some things in your life that you will not be able to move on your own, and the only way that they will move is if you allow Jesus some space in your life to get there so that he can give you the grace that you need to overcome. Some of you need to go out on a limb in your day planner, and you need to place Jesus right in the middle of your day planner. Some of you need to go out on a limb in your finances and become a tither. Some of you need to go out on a limb in your relationships and invest in your spouse. But then came Jesus. And when Jesus reaches the spot, here's what makes it so beautiful. He gets to that spot. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I've got to go to your house today and hang out with you. There's such a sense of belonging here. There's such a sense of friendship. Most historians and theologians all have confirmed that Jesus and Zacchaeus probably did not know one another, but yet he calls him Zacchaeus. There's such a sense of belonging and friendship here. There's a picture of how the church is supposed to function. But look at verses 6 and 7. Verses verses 6 and 7 say this. It says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All of the people saw this and they began to murder No, not murder. Well, really murder, but mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Hold on a second. Here you have Jesus. He gets to that spot. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I've got to go to your house. But then you have all of these other Pharisees who are standing around, and they're like, he can't do that. That guy can't belong. He cannot belong because he doesn't believe. He can't belong because he hasn't practiced the 613 Pharisaical laws. And you have to earn your way to God. You can't just have God. You have to earn your way to God. You cannot belong unless you believe. But then Jesus flips the script. And Jesus knows that if you belong, you will ultimately believe. So Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. 
most theologians believe that that is the very first time that Zacchaeus has heard his name called in a long time rather than a label. That is the first time that he has heard his name called in an affectionate way in a long time other than being called dog. Jesus did not walk up to him and say, sinner, you come down. You tax collector, you come down right now at this moment. You extortionist, you come down. I know you're past, you better come down. You addict, you come down. He didn't say any of those things. He said, Zacchaeus. Why? Because Jesus knows the importance of a name. Jesus knows the significance of a name. And he's showing us that if you belong, you will ultimately believe. The problem is there are many people who are standing around who are more caught up in condemnation than they are love. They're caught up in condemnation while Jesus is caught up in love. And then I begin to think about the church. That's us. Sometimes we're pointing out the sins of others, but we're horrible at the action of grace. We're good at pointing out the sins of others, but horrible at the action of grace. Why is that? Because it's easier to point out what is broken in someone rather than extend the hand of grace in order to love them through it. It's easier to talk about what is broken with culture and the differences that we have rather than open up your arms in grace. It's easier to talk about what is messed up in a person's life rather than get involved for the moment of grace. It's easier to talk about what the enemy has said to you rather than climb the tree and lift up your hands and grab hold of the grace that God has for you. Let me tell you something. There are many people in this place today. You're going to have to make a decision this week. Here is the decision that you are going to have to make. There is someone that gets on your nerves. There are people that you do not like. There are people that do not like you. But this week, you're going to have to bless them. Why? Because the Bible says that bless those who curse you. Some of you right now are saying, well, come on, Jesus. I can't stand it. I can't believe you even said such a thing. But let me be honest with you. We focus upon the fact that the truth that God says he will be an ever-present help in a time of need. He will be an ever-present help at your point of need. But can I tell you something? Many times God uses you to be the point of someone else's need. Mm, Lord have mercy. Some of you are praying for God to meet you at your point of need. But can I tell you something? When you become desperate enough to climb out onto the limb, it's then that you'll begin to see the fruit that God has for you. Lord have mercy. Some of you are praying, God, meet me at my point of need. Some of you come into church on Sunday. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You come into church on Sunday and you cry out, God, hear my voice. And that is cool. But the problem is he does not hear your cry the rest of the week. Some of you come into church on Sunday and you lift up your hands praising him. But the problem is Monday through Saturday, you never lift a hand being a blessing to someone else. And so you're crying out, God, bless me. Meet me at my point of need. We all want to hang out in the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, rather than the presence of God. But can I tell you something? We might need to change our prayer. Rather than God, give me a blessing, maybe it needs to be make me a blessing. Make me into a blessing. That's a greater prayer. Can I tell you something? Let me just be honest with you. Some of you will miss what God has for you because you will not be in the position that you need to be in when Jesus gets there. Think about it. 
had Zacchaeus not ran ahead and climbed the tree when Jesus had gotten to that point, is what the Bible says. Zacchaeus would have missed what Jesus had for him. The point that I am trying to make is there are things in your life that Jesus wants to do, but you've got to make sure you're in the right position in order to receive those things. Some of you are saying, well, hold on a second, Pastor Mark. You don't understand. Life is hard. No, I'm not human. You think, oh, it's easy for you because you're in prayer and fasting all the time. Let me just be honest with you. I'm just like you. I struggle with the same things you struggle with. I'm human. But the point that I am trying to make and that you need to see in the context of the story is that sometimes God will use the opposition in your life to begin to bring about his position for your life. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Y'all still ain't seeing this. And God will use the opposition in your life to begin to bring about his position for your life. You see, if he's called you to a life of faith, you'll have the opposition of fear. If he's called you to the life of generosity, you'll have the opposition of sometimes your finances being a little funny. If, you have, if he's called you to the, a life of love, you're going to have enemies that are going to come against you. But what I'm here to say to you today is this. You need to begin to hold on because your grace moment is on the way. God's about to do something great. When you find yourself in that time, when you don't know what to do, why don't you get all up in God's word. Make sure that your Bible's been crinkled up and used some. Make sure the pages are not stuck together so that you can find what you need to find really quick. You might get to something called Psalms 23 where it says, oh my goodness, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Oh my Lord, when I'm tired, you cause me to lie down beside quiet waters and you cause me to be restored at my soul because of your grace and then you show me grace even more because you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies so that my enemies can see that grace has been dispensed in my life. Then you cause my cup to overflow with grace. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because salvation has come to the house today. Somebody ought to give him praise. got to finish verse 8 verse 8 go ahead and stand to your feet because I got to finish it says but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord look Lord here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anyone out of anything I will pay him back four times the amount here's something that you need to understand this is a man who loved money he would extort money he would exact an extra tax so that he could make some money. This is a man who was broken because everybody made fun of him. But now there is some evidence that he has had a conversion in his life. And because of the conversion and because of the grace that God opened up to him, he is now dispensing grace. Why? Because he says, I'm going to give back anything four times over. The law only required you to give two times the amount. He's giving four times the amount. What I'm trying to say to you is there is some evidence. There should be evidence to your faith. There should be evidence to the fact that God has poured his grace into your life. Verses 9 and 10 go on to say, Salvation has found its way to this house today, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. 
if you understand this concept, everybody say I3. Right now, we're in the midst of this campaign. We've been talking about it really all year. Invite, involve, ignite. Invite, involve, ignite. Everybody say, invite, involve, ignite. She's so zealous. I love it. Jesus invited him to experience grace, Andy. He involved himself in the process by saying, I'm going to hang out with you today something was ignited in Zacchaeus that his whole house was saved. Lord have mercy. But can I tell you something that is so cool? Jesus knows the significance of a name. Historians again say that Jesus and Zacchaeus didn't know one another, but Jesus walks to that right spot. He gets to the spot and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. Everybody else had called him dog and other things. But Jesus calls him Zacchaeus. You see, why? Because Jesus is a, is a God who will rip the labels off of us that others have placed upon us. And it doesn't matter what someone else has said about you or done to you, where your past has been, what that defines about you, because Jesus is the one who defines you and who, what your future is and who you are. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. The name Zacchaeus. Here's what's cool about it. The, the name Zacchaeus means something. You see, Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus the way everybody else saw him. Jesus saw Zacchaeus the way he created him to be. Now Jesus is in search for the moment to convert Zacchaeus from this dog, this person who's horrible, this extortionist, this guy who loves money, to become who he was meant to be in the first place. His name is Zacchaeus. And Jesus called him Zacchaeus when he got to that spot. The name Zacchaeus, you know what it means? It means purity. Hold on a second. You're not grabbing this. So before Zacchaeus ever had a salvation moment, Jesus saw him for what he was supposed to be rather than who everybody else said he was. He saw him for where he was taking him. He saw him not because of his difficulty. He saw him for his destiny. He called him pure before he ever became pure. That just means that whatever God has pronounced over your life is what is going to happen in your life if you'll grab hold of it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to close a little differently today. If you would say to me, Pastor Mark, I, I understand Zacchaeus. I, I feel his pain because I'm living in those first seven or eight verses. There's just a, a difficult place in my life. There's a place that I need God's help. There's a place that I need God's healing. There's some labels that need to be torn off of my life and my heart. And things that I've said to myself or others have said about me, if that's you today and, and, and you want healing in those areas, you want God's help in those areas, you want God's power, then I want you to raise your hand because you need that grace moment in your life, in your relationships, in your spirit, in your emotions. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand high all over this building. Wow. Hands are everywhere in the balcony as well. You can put your hands down. If you would say, here's what I want to do. I want to be who God created me to be and I want to live 
invite, involve, ignite in every area of my life. I want to be a grace dispenser. I want to be searching for the moment. I want to search for the moment that I can expose the grace of God to those that are around me in my relationships, in my career, in my neighborhood. If that's you, and from this moment forward, you want to be that type of person, I want you to raise your hand all over this building. Wow. Last but not least, if you would say today, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want a second chance. I want a do-over. I want forgiveness for my sins. If that's you, I'm the only one looking around. Raise your hand so that I can see it. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. Put your hands down. What I want to do is usually I would have you come to the altar, but I want to just pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, today... Lord, there are people in this place who fall in one of three categories. They need you to help them, to heal them. God, to remove labels in their lives, to give them the strength to rise above, Lord, so that they will see themselves the way you see them. God, I pray that you would grant to them healing and strength and confidence and boldness and zeal. Lord, that you would bless them in their relationships and their careers, God, and in their finances. Lord, there's also a group of people who or today pledging to be, Lord, a dispenser of grace, to search for the moment, to be used by you, to be your hands and your feet and your eyes and your ears, God. May you give them divine appointments, Father, so that they can do something as simple as invite someone to church. God, tell their neighbor about you. God, may they invite someone and involve themselves in the process so that something could be ignited in our church and in our community. God, there's a group of people who want to give their hearts to you today. Forgiveness for their sins. They want salvation to come to their house. May you bless them, God. Forgive them. Anoint them. Empower them. For it's in your wonderful name we pray. Listen, if you love the Lord, can you give him a hand clap of praise?